Hello, hello, my name is Michael, and I welcome you to What's Your Career, where careers are examined one at a time. Jimmy Tobias of Alabama joins me for this interview. You know when third graders bring in their mom or dad for career day, and there's always that one kid with the cool parent? Well, those kids are definitely Jimmy's kids. Jimmy is a helicopter pilot, a dream he has had since he was young. In his late 20s, Jimmy decided it was time for a change, and he pursued the dream of becoming a pilot. His journey included working long hours, going back to school, reducing his income, and starting over as an entry-level worker. His story is inspiring, and it motivates me to want to follow my dreams, too. If you are needing a feel-good story, this interview is for you. Now, to the interview. Jimmy Tobias, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, Jimmy, what do you do? What's your job? So I'm a commercial helicopter pilot. Uh, uh, firefighting and construction are the two main focus areas that I do right now. Okay, firefighting and construction. How long have you been doing that? Um, for quite a while. I've been doing firefighting. I probably got five or six years under my belt. Uh, with And then construction usually happens in the wintertime. I took some time off and flew a helicopter in the Gulf of Mexico for oil rigs for about a year, which was a lot of fun. So how long have you been flying helicopters in total? Uh, let's see, since 2012, so eight years. Okay, awesome. Awesome. How? So this is a pretty unique career, and I'm excited to talk to you about this. Uh, I imagine that because it's pretty unique, you must like it quite a bit. Like, How would you rate your job from one to ten? I love my job, honestly. Um, I I would I would say a ten, but then there are those days. But it's a pretty close to a ten. Pretty close to a ten. Yeah, nothing yeah. is going to be just clouds and rainbows every day. Even right. if it's your dream job, it's not going to be just laying on a cloud all day long. Oh, so, I wish. I'll, I'll give you no. a ten. I'll give you a ten for that. <laughs> um, and then you know, very similarly, but also you know, a little bit different. How happy are you with your job? Like, are you as happy as can be, or do you think there's something better out there that can um, make you happier? You know, there's always something that you think could be better, but I'm relatively happy with my job, uh, or with even with the company I work with, I'm relatively happy. Um, there's always things you feel like could be improved on or whatever, but for the most part, yeah, I, I like my job. I, I give it an eight or a nine. Good. Good. Well, you know, that's good to hear. And you're, you're the type of person I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who's happy, who's got their job that they, you know, maybe always wanted or it became a dream later in life and they, they achieved that job. And so I'm excited to talk to you about that. So, all right, let's let's go way back, um, back to maybe in your early 20s. So did, did you go to college? Did you get a college degree? Yeah, I did. Uh, I have three college degrees, actually. Because um, I was kind of a late bloomer, uh, I was in the military, uh, and I, in the military I was a helicopter crew chief on Apaches and Chinooks, and I signed up with the military to become a pilot. And the recruiter said, "Hey, don't you think it'd be a good idea to learn how to fix them before you learn how to fly them?" And that's how I got became a mechanic. Okay, and I never actually flew with the military. So it wasn't until after I got out that I decided to look into flight school. Okay, so how long were you with the military? Almost 10 years. Okay. All right, so you became a mechanic first. Yeah, and then and- a crew chief. So you work your way up. So you start as a mechanic, just basically a grease monkey. You turn in wrenches. You're doing what other people tell you to do. You're crawling inside the tiniest, smelliest places. You move up into a crew chief. And then you're just in charge of the helicopter, which is which was kind of cool. So, did you ever work on airplanes, or have you always been wanting to work on um, helicopters? Oh, it's always been helicopters for me. Okay, so yes. from the very beginning, you know, going into the military and wanting to be a pilot, you've wanted to be a helicopter pilot, not yeah. an airplane pilot. Okay. No, although I have flown airplanes, uh, but not- helicopters is where it's at, man. <laughs> no, why, why is that? What makes a helicopter better than an airplane for you? Well, because you can do anything with a helicopter. You can go anywhere with a helicopter. You can land. You can you can see things with a helicopter that you can't even see 
with an airplane for the most part. I mean, think about when you're flying in an airliner and you're at 36,000 feet and you're looking down at the mountains. Now think about someone who's flying right over the top of the mountains and seeing those blue glacier lakes and the, and the, uh, what are they called? The big ice Things that, that glacier. run into glacier, yeah, the glaciers up on top of the mountains that run down into this perfectly blue lake that no man has touched because they can't get there other than in a helicopter. I mean, there's just things that you will see that you will never ever see or experience in a helicopter than an airplane. Hmm, yeah, you know, you're right about that. Yeah, you- you may not have a need for speed if you want to be a helicopter pilot, but you, you're right. You can, you know, you know way more than I do, but yeah, you can navigate forwards, backwards. You can land anywhere you right. straight up, straight down. You can hover in a spot. I mean, you know, that there's a reason helicopters are so versatile. There's a reason helicopters are used for life-saving missions and military missions and, construction is because they're very versatile and very uh they're a very delicate instrument very delicate tool and it takes a lot of work to fly them to be honest yeah all right so let's go to that time when you when you went to flight school so you were probably what 28 or 30 or something (laughs) no again i was let's see 2000 i was 32 i started 32 yep Yeah, and you went to flight school. So, what does flight school look like? What does that mean? Well, flight school is a quite a long process, and it depends on how much money you have to go through. Um, there were some guys in flight school; they were done with everything. We call it zero to hero. You go from having nothing all the way to certified flight instructor. Some guys could do it in a year. Because that was their full-time job. They didn't have a family. They didn't go to school. All they did was was the training. Uh, for me, myself, I I went to school full-time. I had to work almost full-time. Uh, I still had a family to take care of. I had all my training to do. It took me almost three years to do everything. Okay, but that was part-time then. You were working a full-time job, plus you had your family, and you were doing flight school just was it online or did you go to class no. at night? Or? Oh, no, no. It was full time. So the way it worked oh, okay. was um, I have a business degree and I was working towards an MBA and I decided I didn't want to sit in an office all day. And so I, I, I remember I, – I, can I tell this? Can I tell, share a story with you about sure, how I became a pilot? All right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I was a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual. And I loved helping people. I loved teaching people. Okay, and, but yeah. I'm terrible at sales, terrible at sales. And I remember one day sitting in my office and I saw my reflection in the glass. I was 265 pounds. I was wearing a shirt and a tie and I just did not like what I saw. I didn't, mm-hmm. I was, I was just in a rut. I was like, I cannot, I can't do this anymore. So I called my wife up that day and I said, you know what, babe, look, I want to go to flight school. I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm not very good at selling. I'm good at teaching, but I'm not good at, at selling stuff. I want to go. I want to do my dream. I want to be a pilot. And she's like, well, where can we go? So I started looking up what the military or my GI Bill would pay for. And I found that my GI Bill would pay for helicopter training as long as it got came with a degree. And I found a place in Hillsboro, Oregon, where they have a uh, like a community college that has an aviation science degree um, specializing in commercial helicopter pilot. So I applied and got accepted and I used my GI bill to pay for a good chunk of my training. And I'll tell you, the training's not cheap. The training for me, uh, the military paid about $120,000. Oh yeah. For, from, from all the way from nothing to commercial or certified flight instructor with instrument rating. Um, And on top of that, they pay for the degree. And on top of that, I have an aeronautical science degree from Emory Riddle. Uh, So another four-year degree on top of that. So by the time they were done paying for all my education, they paid about $200,000, $220,000. Yeah, wow. And so that I was very, very grateful for. We were very blessed that we were able to use that. 
um, to pay for, for all my stuff, but it did take a while. And it's not that I wasn't, I wasn't doing, it was a full-time thing for me, but I also had to work full-time. And so it, it did take a, a little bit more time because the program, it's a two-year program. So when I say three years, it, into, it, it two and a half years is really what it took for me to finish everything and move on. Wow. That's quite the story. Those must have been some hard years. Uh, with, you know, little kids at home, wife at home, full-time work, full-time school, working on certifications, <laughs> you know, all of the above. That's it a lot is. of work. It's, it's, it's really hard. And I'll tell you, the, every test you take, you take a private pilot test, an instrument test, a commercial pilot test, a CFI test, a certified flight instructor test, and then a certified flight instructor for instrument tests. There's five different tests that you could take. You have to take. You don't have to. You can stop whenever you want. Um, and every single one was harder than the one before. <laughs> they were some of the hardest tests I've ever taken. In fact, my my certified flight instructor test, we did eight hours of oral testing and then oh, wow. two hours of flight testing. And so, yeah, they, it's very – it's uh, you know, I don't want to discourage people from doing it, but it is very – it is very difficult. Um, and it costs a lot of money. But what I always tell people is if you, if you have a dream and if – if you don't love your job and you have a dream and you want to do something else, you can't discount not, you can't discount trying, you know, you gotta yeah. try. You gotta. You're right about that. <laughs> nothing, nothing happens until you put one foot in front of the other, right? That's you gotta, right. You gotta start. You gotta do something. That's right. Yeah. So uh, l let's, let's pause for a second on your story and you know, Maybe there's a listener out there who, who thinks flying a helicopter would be the dream for him or her. What are the different options for, for getting certified, for getting the right you know, training? You, know, you mentioned those tests and your certifications and whatnot. Yeah. But what are the different ways you can go about that? You went to a university and you know, got a degree, but are there other ways of accomplishing the same thing? Yeah, you can. You can just go and you can go to a flight school where they have helicopter training. Um, and you can just start doing the training and you will have to get a flight instructor who will teach you how to fly. And then you can do all of the, the book work you can do on your own. You could do it online. You could pay for all the classes online and do it all online. And then you can use the flight instructor as a, a resource uh, to, okay. help, to help you study or if you have questions and they charge for their time. They might charge $50 an hour for their time, but it's worth it. Um, and so it, it really just depends, you know, the minimum amount of hours you have to have in order to get a helicopter license or any pilot's license is, is 40 hours of flying. You have to have 40 hours of flying and it generally costs us about $350 an hour right? for the helicopter itself. And then however many hours you need for ground training, which is the, all the book work and stuff like that. And so yeah. there's there's a good amount that you have to do in order to to um, to think about it. So one thing I always encourage people to do first and foremost, if you're interested in becoming a pilot, a helicopter pilot or an airplane pilot, is you go and find a flight school and you ask for what's called uh, like a uh, it's like an interview flight, right? Um, okay. Yeah. And and you can go to the flight school and it's usually about it depends on where you go, but you can get a fixed wing flight for maybe a hundred dollars, a little bit more. Uh, and you say, Hey, I want, I just want to try it out. See if it's, if it's for me and a flight instructor will give you about a half hour of training on the ground, go over the aircraft with you. And then they'll take you up in the air for about a half hour as well. They'll let you fly. They'll let you do a couple different things, obviously with them on the controls with you. And, you know, you might find out that flying helicopters isn't for you. Maybe you'd like the airplane better, or maybe flying airplanes isn't for you. You like the helicopter better, and then you can make your plan from there. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really neat resource. It's a good way to dip your toes in the water without committing too much, right? That's right. Yep. And, so, and the other thing too is once you, I, I talk to so many people who have committed to becoming a pilot, but they only want to do one or two flights a week or or a month, 
and you lose a lot of what you learned from the previous flight. So if, if somebody is serious about becoming a pilot, they, they really need to have some dedicated time to becoming a pilot. Yeah, that's right. It's hard, you know, like any sport or any, you know, skill instrument, whatever it is, if you only try once or twice a month, you know, you can't get, you can't get better. Right. That's you right. got to put in more time and effort than that. Yeah. So yeah. what, I guess, who's, whose helicopters were you flying in flight school? Is it part of the flight school? They have a fleet of helicopters or is it, you know, I don't know, some hospital has an extra helicopter <laughs> that they let you fly or how does that work? No, it's, it's generally the flight schools will have helicopters. Um, once in a while you'll find, so the school that I went to, they, they had probably eight or nine or 10 little helicopters that we flew and they owned them. Um, and then they had a plethora of, of, of instructors there. So they had eight or nine or however many helicopters and they had probably 20 airplanes and they were, they're a big school. They're one of the biggest schools on the West coast, the school that I went to. Okay. Um, but for the most part, generally what happens is someone says, Hey, I want to, I'm going to be a flight instructor. And they find they may maybe they'll lease a helicopter or they'll find somebody who has a helicopter that they're not flying all the time and say, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm certified to fly your helicopter. I'd like to teach people this. How would you like to be a, a partner in letting me use your helicopter to teach other people how to fly? So yeah. for the most part, it'll be at an airport. Um, or just anybody can just go online, look up helicopter flight school, and they'll most oftentimes do helicopter and airplane training at the same flight school. Okay. All right. Well, good to know. All right. So, so back to your story a little bit, you finish up school, right? You, mm -hmm. you, you're still working at Northwestern mutual full-time. How do you get your first job as a, as a full-time pilot? What is yeah, that? Like? So it, I actually quit Northwestern mutual. Okay. We moved, we moved from Idaho to Oregon and I got a job at the flight school. Oh, okay. I got a job working with the foreign students as a student housing coordinator at the flight school. So I was working at the school. I was going to school at the school and I was going to school at the, at the college. I spent a lot of time yeah. <laughs> at those places. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's not that easy to, to have another job and try and if I didn't work at that flight school, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So then, yeah, once you graduated, how'd you, uh, how'd you get your first job? So one year, uh, at, at Hillsboro Aviation, they had a huge, at the Hillsboro airport in Oregon, they had it every year. They have a huge air show and I was almost done with my commercial license and a sky crane was there and a sky crane is a huge helicopter probably the third largest helicopter in the world or something it's a big helicopter and it was there on display um it had been flown in by erickson uh and i went and looked at it and the guy i happened to talk to at the time was the assistant chief or chief pilot of the company and i was talking to him and i asked what it took to get in this helicopter and he told me and you know, at the time I only had maybe 135 hours and I thought I'm never going to get into one of these helicopters. Um, after my, but it was, it was amazing. Just huge helicopter. I, I was just enamored. Uh, the next, I don't know, maybe six or eight months later, I took a job with another flight school and I got a call one day uh, from another company in Oregon from the chief pilot and he said hey you work for this company we often use this this flight school for second in command pilots for uh, for flying our helicopters are you interested i'm like well what do you fly and he said we fly sky cranes i'm like holy cow heck yeah i'm interested <laughs> and I, i'm all excited and oh <laughs> i'm all excited i'm like yeah 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 I'll, I'll, I'll. he's like i'm like when do you need me he said oh five o'clock tomorrow morning i'm like oh my gosh okay and I'm about to hang up. I said, oh, uh, by the way, what are we – where am I going? What are, what am I doing? And he says, oh, uh, you'll be flying down to Southern California and you'll be fighting fires. I'm like, no way. That's amazing. So at this time, I only had 250 hours. 
And so I got picked up and I worked for this company all summer. And of course, in the wintertime, there's not very many fires. But the next summer, I worked for them again and I did more flying. And I did that for five years. And it was it was pretty stinking awesome. So that's how I got started quite by accident. So wow. generally, generally, most pilots, what they do is they go through flight school. They get their their CFI, the certified flight instructor, and then they become an instructor at the flight school. And they'll work at the flight school for a year or two or three years until they get about a thousand hours, which is about the industry standard to move on to something else. And generally they'll move on to tours like in Vegas or Hawaii or Florida or California. And after they do tours, once they get about 2000 hours, they'll move into EMS. It's just kind of the natural progression, you know, and you just got to skip those thousand hours of working <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> I just basically jumped over. I was quite lucky. Right place, right time. You know, the Lord was really watching out. We we're very blessed. Um, and uh, uh, my career just kind of took off from there. So that, that's awesome. So so you started, you know, fighting fires in California. What is what is your schedule like, or how do you know what is your contract like? You know, I want to hear all the details about how this works because, you know, most people I talk to are salaried employees, right? They've yeah. got benefits, they've got this, you know, long term, you know, career going on with one company, but this I imagine is very different. So I, I'd love to hear the details of how you get paid, what your benefits are what your hours look like because uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're a lot crazier than most. They can be. So uh, and most helicopter jobs, and when I say most, most of the helicopter jobs out there, they're either going to be construction, firefighting, or emergency services, flight, uh, like EMS. Yeah. Uh, or, or government military slash jobs. Now, generally speaking, uh, as a firefighting pilot or even an EMS pilot will work a certain amount on and then the same amount off. So for example, uh, my current schedule, I usually will work three weeks on and get three weeks off. Nice. And it just depends on where we go. So uh, if I'm in the States, generally speaking for firefighting, it's usually 12 days on 12 days off. Uh, Most EMS jobs are seven days on seven days off. Yeah. So when I'm anywhere outside of the continental United States, we usually do three weeks on, three weeks off, or four weeks on, four weeks off. And every now and then I'll do a five week tour. Um, and that can be kind of long. But I usually, usually if I do five weeks and get three weeks off at the end of the season, I get, I get a couple months off in a row. Wow. So, and it just, and it, and it just really depends on how busy or what other contracts we might have. Um, now, generally speaking, pilots get paid in my position. Pilots get paid a, a lot of different ways. When I first started out, I was getting paid hourly, like yep. per day, hours per day, and then overtime. I would get overtime. So my general schedule was 14 hours a day, seven days a week for 12 days straight. Ooh, that's so a lot. The, 14 hour a, days. That's a 14 big hour day. days. Yeah. And we were. It, in the States, we're only allowed to fly eight hours per day. So we okay. get up at, we get up at the sunrise and whenever we start flying, we can fly for eight hours. And then once the sun sets, we can't fly anymore. Hmm. Um, in other countries, for example, uh, Greece, we could fly 10 hours a day and work 16 hours a day, which can be a very, very, very long day. Yeah. I imagine. So, and then it, and then so you, you, some pilots might get paid hourly. Some pilots will get a salary. Some pilots will get a salary plus a flight pay. So, based on how many hours they fly, um, some some pilots, for example, uh, pilots that do logging, they'll get a a, a salary plus a production pay. Um, and it just really de- depends on the the company they're working for and what the pay structure is. Yeah, but there's there's some good potential. Um, you know, I, I think if a, a captain right now uh, doing what I do, probably maybe one hundred fifty thousand a year. 
Okay. And that's working. Um, that's working yeah, seven, half a year. seven days off, seven days on. Well, and then, now that's flying big helicopters. Uh, I think flying smaller helicopters, you're looking between 75 and 110. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's still working just half a year. Um, and, and to me, what I really like is that when I'm home, I'm at home. You know, I don't, I don't focus on anything else. I think a lot of people in other jobs that where they go to an office, they come home on Friday night at six o'clock. And then by Sunday, they're already stressed about going back to work on Monday. Right. Or they, maybe they bring work home with them to work on over the weekend. You know, Yep. Uh, me, when I come home, well, as soon as I get on the plane to come home, work is out of my mind. Like, I, now it's my time to spend with my family and my kids. I'm going to do as much as I can. This is just really good quality time with them. Yeah, you know, that is, that is I, I didn't think about that. But when your job is over, you don't, you don't have to do, you don't have to occupy your mind with anything related to work anymore. It's over. Nope. That's right. Yeah. And, so, you know, once in a while, you know, I'll have some training coming up. I'll do some studying. Right, but it's not like I'm stressing out about going back to the office on Monday. Sure. Yeah. So all right. So you were fighting you were fighting fires for, for six summers in a row. Um, and that was probably what, five or six months of the year. But what'd you do the rest of the the years? Yeah. You know, those five or six years. So the first couple of years I didn't do anything in the winter. I just I finished school. Uh, I got my uh, aeronautical science degree from Embry-Riddle. Um, after a couple of years, after the guys got to know me and I started getting kind of more more work with the company I was working with, <clears throat> um, in 2018, after the fire season was over, I went to Canada and I started doing construction on major power lines in Canada with this company. Okay, and same, same company. Same company. company. Okay. No, same company. Yep. And it was, it was really cool experience. Freezing cold. There was a morning that I woke up at five thirty in the morning, and it said minus forty eight, but feels like minus fifty two. And yeah, if, anything below about fifteen is about nothing oh, to me. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. In fact, it was so cold that whatever snow is on the ground instantly turned to ice. Our helicopter engines are so hot that it melts the ice while we're sitting there. And then as soon as we go to lift the helicopter up, the wind from the blades freezes the ice instantly. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yes. Very, very cold. And then after that, that was in 2000 and from the about September of 2017 to January of 2018. And then in, in January of 2018, after I was done in Canada, the same company said, hey, how would you feel about going to Puerto Rico? And I said, uh, yeah, you don't even have to ask. And so I went from minus 40 degree Fahrenheit or Celsius in Puerto Rico to plus 40 degree temperature, or excuse me, backwards, minus 40 degree Celsius in Canada to plus 40 degrees Celsius in Puerto Rico. And it was in, in two weeks. So it was quite a change. And I did uh, Puerto Rico for about six months. What, what kind of work was going on in Puerto Rico that they needed a helicopter for? So we were actually doing some infrastructure rebuilding on the power system after, was it Hurricane uh, Maria, I think? That went okay. through in 2017. So we were there to help rebuild the power line. Is what we were doing. We were, we were taking people out out into the jungles, and we were helping people, the the linemen or the the guys working on the pilots, to set power poles into the ground with our helicopter. Uh, we took supplies out. We brought people back in, and that, that was a lot of fun. Okay, so yeah, let let me ask a little bit about what you actually do with the helicopter. So, sounds like with with firefighting, going back a little bit, you've got you're carrying you're just picking up like buckets of water and and dumping it and then going and picking up more and dumping is that more or less what you did as as Um, sometimes sometimes it depends on the helicopter i was in so if i'm in a big sky crane helicopter or an air crane 
Um, most of them have a huge 2,500 gallon tank on there. Okay. And they got this huge hose that comes down. And what we'll do is we'll go and hover over a, a pond or a lake and we'll pull water up into the tank. And then we'll go fly over the fire and open up the doors as we fly over the the front edge of the fire and dump water on it. Okay. Yeah. Now other helicopters, um, I flew a helicopter that had a, a 900 gallon uh, bucket and yeah. we go and we go dip a bucket in a lake and we pull it out and we go just open the bucket up over the fire. And that's what we would do. Huh. Um, and so as far as that goes, it's, it's, it's really, really amazing. And once in a while, what we would do is we'd use what's called retardant. And if you watch the news in California or even Utah or Idaho, you'll see these airplanes that are dropping this red stuff on the ground. Yeah, yeah. That's called a retardant. Yep. What the retardant does, it basically just slows the fire down and helps create a barrier. And oftentimes what we do, they put this retardant line down and we'd support that retardant line. But we'd make sure that the fire didn't go over that uh, retardant okay. line. Okay. Um, and, and sometimes the, the, we didn't have to do much. And sometimes we just need to go and get that retardant line a little bit more wet so that it can still do what it's supposed to do. But for the most part, we would, when we fought fires, we'd be in contact in the States. We're in contact with people directly on the ground. They have different fire bosses or different people on the ground say, Hey, so-and-so uh, we're, we're inbound with a load of water. Where do you want us? And they'll tell us where they want us to go. And sometimes the guys on the ground, they'll have like this really bright strip of, of canvas or something. And they point it in the direction that they want us to put the water you know, and yeah. we'll work with a certain guy on the ground and, and we'll, you know, we'll always ask, Hey, is there anybody down there that we need to worry about? And he'll be like, no pilot, you're all clear, you know? Yeah. Okay. And, and we'll, we'll dump water where they say they want us to dump water. In some cases it's, we do what's called heli mopping where the fire's kind of wrapping up, but there's still some little smokes out there and they'll tell us, Hey, just wherever you see a smoke, just dump some water on it. There might not be fire, but it just might be a little hot spot. And so it just, it just really, you know, there's been hmm. there's been some times where that were really scary. Where we've actually had to save some firefighters that got stuck in, a, in an area that was surrounded by fire. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and it's always very exciting and very nerve wracking, and you you're always worried about the people around you. And some fires, I've worked on fires where there's been thirty helicopters on the same fire. Oof. And there's a lot of communication going on. We got to communicate with other helicopters. We got to communicate with people on the ground. We got to communicate with the fire boss that's at, at 8,000 feet flying around in an airplane. We got to communicate with our home base, wherever we're flying to for fuel. Uh, you know, it's always, always communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, and, and, and that min- helps mitigate some of the risk. Of course, there's always a lot of risk, but communication and being aware helps reduce that. Yeah. So that's firefighting. Um, and that, that's, you know, you know, thank you for your service. I mean, you really are a firefighter, uh, when you do that job at least. And, you know, it's a noble thing and, you know, we, we, we need to do better as Americans at appreciating those that, that serve and, you know, on the front lines. So thank you for that, that yeah. service that you've done. Um, so now uh, some of the other jobs, I guess you, you've done some construction assistance and you've done some, yep. sounds like pipeline work or, or, you know, underground transmission lines. I imagine for those jobs, you're, you're just picking up, you know, you're, you're lowering down, connecting the straps, picking up pipe and then putting it in a hole. Or what, so, what other types of things are you doing? So for construction, generally, for example, for, for power line construction, yeah. So sometimes we pick up a big metal or a big wooden pole and we fly it to where they can't get a, like a lift truck out there to put it in the ground. There's just nowhere for the truck to get. So we'll fly out there with the pole and we'll get it as close as we can to the hole. And then a couple guys might even come up to grab the pole and just help guide it to the hole. We'll set it in the hole. And then we'll hold the hole, hold that pole in place until they run these guidelines to make sure that the pole is secure. Hmm. Okay. Um, if we're building uh, those big those big metal towers that you see for big huge power lines that go across rivers and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. yep. Those sometimes are built in sections. So we'll fly one section over. They'll bolt it in. We'll fly another section over. They'll bolt it in. We'll fly a final section over, and they'll bolt it in. And people will be up in the tower 
waiting for the helicopter to come in and set it down so they can bolt the bolt the rest of the tower together. And in an, another instance, they'll have these huge metal towers that just come down to a, a single point. And we have to bring this huge tower over and set it on this pin. And then they run these guidelines out, guidelines out, and they ratchet them up. And when the guidelines are ratcheted up, they give us a wave and we just release all the hooks and fly away. Hmm. So it's it it can be a little bit nerve wracking. We've also yeah. um, in Houston. In fact, I've been to Houston, and we put huge air conditionings on top of skyscrapers, oh, on top yeah, of the yeah. big buildings. We'd fly them up there, so we had to fly up, take the old ones off, take the new ones up, and then they zip them on, and we go down and get another one, and they bolt them on. It's it's it's, it's pretty cool to watch. That is and, fun. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself um, like when, when the people on the ground are, are connecting stuff, it, does it end up being a lot of time just idling while you're holding the thing? Or is that kind of a minor piece of it? Or do you spend hours at a time just sitting there waiting for them to, you know, release the, or connect their, their, their line or their pole so well, that you can go get the next one? Uh, no, that's a good question. Um, that I think is the most critical time uh, when we're working okay. because so much can actually go wrong or, or, or something can take too long. So depending on the load, we have a certain amount of fuel because a lot of loads can be heavy. So the, the big helicopters that I fly right now, they can carry about 25,000 pounds. Okay. And, and the helicopter itself weighs almost 25,000 pounds. And so we, we, the helicopter with its own weight can carry almost 50 pounds, right? 50,000 pounds. Yep. And so we, but we take a minimum amount of fuel. So yeah, the guys on the ground, they have to be quick and it's not easy to hover over a single spot with 18,000 pound antenna or a tower on. And so we need to get the tower in place and they need to run the guidelines as quick as possible. There's no, there's no messing around. And it's too dangerous for anybody to be doing anything else. I mean, the job's got to get done, you know. Right. Um, it's a little different depending on what we're doing. Right. If we're if we're just carrying a wooden pole that's only a couple thousand pounds, that's that's a uh, that's not the same urgency. There's still urgency, but it's just not quite the same as when we're setting an eighteen thousand pound pole. Right. So <clears throat> um, when you are trying to stay in one spot. It's not like you can just kick your feet up and say, all right, we're, we're good. Oh, no. Is that, you know, how difficult is it? I don't know anything about, about yeah. uh, piloting, you know, what, what do you have? Do you have to keep track of a thousand things just to stay still in a helicopter? So one of the hardest things for a helicopter to do is actually hover because so many things are, are moving and you have to command that helicopter to stay in one spot. So the way I liken it or the way I tell people about hovering in place is, you know, when you go to a movie theater and you sit right in the middle, almost at the very front, and you're looking at the at the movie screen, you can still see every single detail, right? Yeah. It's not like your eyes are darting all over to try and catch everything. Your brain still sees everything. As helicopter pilots in, in a hover, we, we do something very, very similar. We pretty much keep our eyes out. And we pick several different spots that we want to compare to where the helicopter is. Um, and then we look at those spots simultaneously and we keep the helicopter in place according to where those spots are, where, where they should be in our vision. Oh, interesting. So that requires several different things. A helicopter has three main controls. They have on your in your left hand, it's called a collective. The collective makes the helicopter go up and down. In your right hand, in between your legs, is the cyclic. The cyclic is what makes the helicopter turn and 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 stuff like that. Uh, and then at your feet are the pedals, and that's what makes the helicopter rotate, like uh, or, or turn clockwise or counterclockwise. Uh, and so all three of those things have to be working at the same time. One cannot take a break from the other. So whatever, if one of them makes an input, all the all of them make an input. And, you, and when you're hovering, you're constantly making small inputs 
all over the place because there's wind and there's other factors. There's heat. There might be stuff coming off of the building, uh, all, a variety of things. And you're making all these different changes. And on top of that, you still have to pay attention to your power. You have to pay attention to your fuel. You still have to pay attention to people talking on the ground. And that's why in our helicopters, it requires two pilots to fly the helicopter because there's just so much stuff that has to be done. Wow. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that all makes sense. Staying still <laughs> is a challenge. I mean, you think about just, I don't know, like lifting your arm in the air and keeping it in the air in the same spot, right? right. It, it gets difficult. Maybe not at first, but you start to drift and veer and things change. And, you know, with, with mechanical uh, instruments like a helicopter, there, right. yeah, that's a lot to keep track of just to stay in one spot. Yeah, well, if you imagine your car, you're not going to take your hands off the steering wheel and it's going to drive perfectly straight unless you have a Tesla, right? Like <laughs> most cars don't drive perfectly straight. You have to maintain the straightness of the car. The same thing with a helicopter, except you have to do it with your entire body. And it's in three dimensions, right? That's it's right. Down side to side, you know, a, a car right. is just on, on a flat ground. Yep. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I, I like learning and I'm learning a lot right now. So thanks for sharing this. With <laughs> yeah. Me. Um, so where do you see your, your career going in the future? What, what are you liking about being a helicopter pilot? And what would you like to do more of going forward? You know, I, I'm i not exactly sure. I just know I want to keep flying as long as I can. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the best things. Um, I'm I'm in line to be to get typed on the helicopter and become a captain, uh, which would be pretty cool. Um, and there's a lot of – there can be a lot of exciting things happening in the aviation industry. Um, where there's, there's stuff called fly-by-wire for helicopters, which is not – new but it's relatively new um, and not all helicopters have it uh, they're working on things with uh, night vision and fighting fires at night and they're working on uh, flying helicopters remotely mm. so there's a lot of, of stuff happening um, you know when I worked in the Gulf of Mexico when I worked in the Gulf of Mexico I, I flew people around to different rigs and I landed on things in the middle of the ocean and that was a a blast. Um, but I, I don't, I, I like firefighting. I like that at the end of the day, I feel like I did something when we, when we work, you know, there are days where we're just waiting for a fire and it's not like, it's not like we just go find a fire to fight. We have to be called to a fire. Yeah. And so there's some days where we don't fly at all, where we just wait and wait and wait. In fact, um, the last time I went to work, I only flew for two hours. I was gone for five weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so most of the time we waited, but it's not like, oh, let me just chill out and wait. You always have that anxiety saying, okay, I'm, we're always ready to go. You know, kind of like a, kind of like a firefighter at the, at a fire station. You know, they might not have a fire that day, but as soon as that bell rings, they're gone. They're ready. You know? Yeah. So what does your downtime look like? I mean, for the past five weeks, what have you been doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> we play card games. I, I personally, I do quite a bit of studying. I try to get as much studying as I can. That gets old and tedious really fast, I'll tell you. Um, we we pre-flight our helicopter every day. So Basically, I'll give you a rundown of what it what it's like. So every morning when we get up, when we get out to our helicopter, we give our helicopter a pre-flight. A pre-flight usually takes 15 to 30 minutes, depending on what we have to do or if we flew the day before or not. Um, we check our fuel for any water or contaminants. We run through, since our helicopter is so big, we have um, double, we have redundant systems that we check. Uh, we have a, a mechanic out there or a crew chief out there at all times they check everything before we even get there and then we check everything that they checked and then we check everything we're supposed to check and then after we've done our, our entire pre-flight and we've done our, our fuel checks we actually start the helicopter up and we do what's called in our helicopters we'll do like a tank check we want to make sure that the tank is operational so if we get a fire we can just get in the helicopter and start it up and go uh, so we do a tank check. We do hydraulic checks. We want to make sure all of our controls are working properly. We do radio checks, make sure we don't have a problem with radios. 
And then once we turn everything off, we pretty much wait for our fire. Hmm. And we wait. And sometimes we keep waiting. And sometimes we don't. The, there were times where I was flew over 10 hours a day this year on fires. And we were just all over the place. 16-hour days, flying 10 and a half, 11 hours a day. We were just busy. And that was for almost three and a half weeks straight we did that. Well. Wow. And so these past five weeks, um, where where have you been? And I, it is firefighting, right? And it's the same company that you've been working for this whole time. Oh, right? I'm at a I'm at a different company now. Okay. Because um, uh, in 2019, I went to the Gulf to get a bunch more hours, and I got an offer from another company that flies these these big Skycrane helicopters. And um, but they do the same thing. And so this summer I was in Greece and okay. I did a lot of flying in Greece and people think, Oh wow, you get to go all these cool locations. And you know, I get to California and Puerto Rico, Canada, Greece and Australia. I don't, I don't actually get to go do touristy stuff. You know, I go to work. Yeah. You know? Even if I'm not working or if we're not flying, I still have to be available and ready to work. Like we will sit there at the helicopter all day long. And then at the end of the day, we'll go back to our apartment or a hotel, wherever we're staying at, and we'll prepare for the next day. Right. Yeah. You don't, it's not like you've got the weekends off. You're, you're on right. when you're on, and then you go home back to the States when you're not on the clock. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense to me. And, you know, they do, they, if you're working more than your three weeks or whatever, they'll have somebody come and give you a day off um, just so you can go to the store if you need to go to the store or, or do laundry or just sleep a little extra. Yeah. But you know what? For the most part, if, if we're not flying and we're tired, we take a nap. Heck, even if, even if we're in between flights and we're flying a lot, we still take a nap. You sleep when you can, you know, you eat when you can and you always are drinking water. So, in our helicopters, it's not like I can just get in a helicopter and a pair of flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt and go flying. We have a lot of safety gear. We wear a, a full flight suit. It's a Nomex flight suit. Uh, we'll wear the appropriate shoes, uh, depending on where we're at. That might be a pair of leather boots or sometimes just a pair of tennis shoes. And we wear a helmet. Uh, and you, and you got to wear that helmet every time you fly. And so, you know, when it's in our helicopters, a lot of them don't have air conditioning. So when it's 115 degrees outside it's 130 degrees in the helicopter and you're wearing a long sleeve suit with a helmet and no air conditioning you're sweating you're sweating a lot oh yeah it's it's not a smooth helicopter these helicopters they're from vietnam and they're still flying wow yeah they're they're quite old but they get updated and they get taken care of and you know the maintenance is superb the guys who do all that stuff, they're fantastic. Huh. That's really neat. Yeah, it's fun. Well, okay. Um, well, that's cool. That, you know, being on call for basically your whole career is, uh, I'm sure, in most many people's eyes, very exhausting, and most people wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want that. But it it seems to suit you and your style and the way you like to work. And like you said earlier, I think the most important thing is, you know, you're able to have good quality time with your family when you're not working. Um, But when you are working, you you don't see your family. So, you know, it goes both ways, of course. But, uh, you know, good for you for finding the career that really works for you. And that, you know, that that is a dream career. I mean, you did it. High five, you know. Yeah props you found your dream career you went after it and you're there you're living it you're working it and it's paying off right i mean you're you're starting to get the pay that yep. you know is is coming in nicely and you're you're well recognized and well certified and you've got job offers and you're you're staying busy as a as a pilot and so you've made it uh in that regard so congratulations yeah well thanks, done man you know when I was a kid, there's only four things I wanted to be. I wanted to be first man on Mars. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. Professional baseball player, an FBI agent, or a helicopter pilot. Hey. Right? And that was the fourth grade. Uh, I mean, one out of four isn't that bad. 
you know, and I can honestly say, I can honestly say that I cannot believe that I wake up in the morning and that I get to fly helicopters. I, I still think, I still think about that thinking, how did, how is this, how is this my life? I cannot believe that this is what I get to do for a living. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, you did it. You did it, <laughs> it's, man. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so, you know, I, 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 I've told, I tell people this all the time. Look, you don't, you, to be a helicopter pilot, you do not need to go to college, but you do have to have some grit and you have to have a little bit of hard work in you and you have to not be afraid to, to just do it, you know, but it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 18 years old or you can be like me, a 32-year-old career change guy. Anybody anybody can do anything that they want to do. And I, I, I've supported people. I've talked to people about this, you know, veterans. I've helped veterans get into flight school. I've talked to them how to pay for their – how to play for their flight school using their GI Bill. Um, I mean if anybody has any questions or they want to know how they can get into doing this, I'm always happy to help educate and walk people through what I did uh, because it works. Well, yeah, you're living proof that it works. Yeah. That's the best kind of evidence there is. So. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, well Jimmy, this is, uh, you know, I'm enlightened. Uh, this has been fun. I haven't talked to anybody quite like you. And I think you explained <laughs> your story and your journey very well. And it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it, it really is just awesome to hear how passionate you are about what you do um, and that you're willing to talk to people and help out the next generation of helicopter pilots. So, oh, heck yeah. Uh, you know, if there is somebody that listens to this and, and, and would like to contact you, what's the best way they could reach out to you? Honestly, the best way would probably be, I mean, I have a Instagram and Facebook, but I don't actually use them that much. Um, yeah. It would be best just to send me an email. Okay. All right. Yeah. You okay if I include a oh yeah your absolutely. email in the description? Okay. Yeah. Gosh, I'll tell you what. I'm super happy to talk to anybody about it. And and that's what I found. Most people that really love what they do are <laughs> more than happy to to share that knowledge with other people. And you're not yeah. into that. So, all right, Jimmy. Well, this has been a great interview. Um, great talking to you, and uh, I look forward to hearing you know more about how your career evolves over time. So, yeah, thank you no for problem. taking some time tonight with me. Yeah.